Well, that's a peppy little song, isn't it? You know, uh, too often we allow our circumstance, circumstances in life to determine our happiness. And it's very easy to do. I mean, it's, it's like life hits you very quickly and many times all we're doing is reacting to life. And it's, it's hard because I, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. My emotions are on a roller coaster based upon the circumstances of my life. Um, and our circumstances can, can you know, determine our, our happiness, our you know, feeling of joy and happiness, but they don't have to. And so, you know, the real question is, how do, we get, how do we get to a place where we begin to, instead of allowing our circumstances to control how we feel about our, you know, our happiness and how life is going, that no matter what our circumstances are, we can have kind of a steady, eddy type of a attitude about life? Um, because we, we live in a culture that basically says, you will have happiness if certain things follow like for instance you'll have happiness if you're in a good relationship with someone else if you're in a good relationship you'll be happy but most of us know that no matter how good the relationship is there's ups and downs in relationships right or our our culture says if you have good health if you have good health you'll have happiness health leads to happiness and uh you know that's to a certain extent that's true because when you don't have it, you go, I'm not real happy right now, <laughs> and I'm struggling, right? And uh, so that, that's part of it. Or some, some uh, people would say, no, having a lot of money brings happiness. If I had money, then I could do everything I wanted to do. If I could do everything I wanted to do, therefore I'd be happy. And so to a certain extent, uh, that works. Or people would say, uh, finding uh, fulfillment in a meaningful job. That, that brings happiness. Or for a student who's starting school right now, uh, they may say in a week or two, having good grades, getting good grades, and doing well in school, and making friends, that is the, the key to happiness uh, in school. Or uh, in the workplace, uh, being good at your job, or enjoying your job, or something like that. Or having a family, having a family that where things are going well, all those things. And we say, if I could just have the right circumstances, I'd be happy. My problem is my circumstances aren't always where they should be. And um, that's the problem. The thing about it is, having health, having a fulfilling job, having good relationships, being in a, a healthy, good family, getting good grades, and having friends, and, and, and having a fulfilling job, those are all things that can bring a certain source of happiness. But as we know, your health dwindles. Relationships have up and downs. Even the best job has bad days, right? And so... If we're going to rely upon these things to bring happiness in our lives, we're going to be disappointed by, if if not all of them, most of them. Um, Too many people in our culture, though, are not happy. And this has become a real problem in our culture because what people are doing now is they're saying, I don't like my life and I'm not happy. And so instead of saying, okay, what can I do to rise above my circumstances, they're just basically saying, I don't even want to think about it. So they run from it. Sometimes they self-medicate and they 
get drunk and do different things like do drugs and get to a place where they go, I just don't want to think about it. I just want to put it off. I just, the, if, the more I think about my life, the more depressed I get. And so uh, they, they come to a place where it, it becomes kind of a, down, a downhill spiral where happiness is something that they don't feel like that there's a, a remote chance. Now, that's not everyone, but most of us have ways of adapting. Here's a question I really want to ask in this series. Is there a way for us to rise above any and all of the circumstances in life so that we can experience real joy and happiness? Is there a way for that to happen? Now, again, I, I understand we're going to have those, those days that are going to come, and they're just going to knock us for a loop. But generally speaking, we're going to say, it was a good week. It was a decent week. It was a week where good things happened. Yeah, there were some challenges, but overall it was a good week or it was a good day. Um, is there a way? And I believe, really, the book of Philippians addresses that issue head on. It, it speaks directly to that whole thing of how do we rise above the circumstances of life and how do we have joy when life doesn't necessarily deal us the hand that we want. Or we, get a, we just don't like where we're at right now and we're going through a difficult time. Can we still rise above the circumstances or must we, make, must we allow the circumstances to dictate how we feel about our lives. Because I don't think that, that God wants us to be driven, tossed to and fro by, because of our circumstances. I think God wants us to rise above our circumstances. So I don't think we do that by just pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and saying, we're going to try harder, we're going to be better, we're going to, just, we're going to do this somehow. I believe that the Bible has some good instruction for us, and that's really what we want to do. We want to talk about how we can learn some key principles and how not, not, we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. You know, this story was told about uh, two boys, and one was, uh, they were twins, and they, they both had, they, one had a kind of a, a very negative view of life, and one had a very positive view of life, and the view of life is part of it, and I get, there's a, you know, disclaimer to the whole series, I get that there's psychological issues that we admit some people struggle with and depression and all that. What I'm trying to talk about is just general life and, and how do we rise above the circumstances. These two boys, uh, they were um, taken to do some psychological testing on them. And uh, the one boy was, was given uh, all these presents, and no matter what they gave him, he wasn't happy. He got the best present. He wasn't happy. The other boy was put in a room of horse manure, and he was given a shovel. And he's digging, and he's digging, and he's digging. The more he's digging, the more he's smiling. People are going, what is going on with this kid? So they, they, they finally pull the kid aside, and he smells like bad. He's got, you know, all over, horse manure all over. They say, you seem pretty happy. What, what are you so happy about? He says, with all this horse manure, there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. And, and you know, it just she goes to show you that what, what your perspective is can, can change. And I'm not, what I'm suggesting is that there's a heavenly perspective, and we have a heavenly perspective that can change everything. And our heavenly perspective can help us to rise above the challenges we have in this life. So we want to look at the book of Philippians. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote. We call it a book, but it's really a letter. Paul wrote a letter to the church that was meeting in Philippi, the city of Philippi. 
And before we can do that, we have to kind of get to a place to say, well, how did Paul even get connected to Philippi? And it's kind of an interesting story. So if you turn to Acts chapter 16, it's on page 845, and we encourage you to look in your Bible because we think uh, you reading it as I read it is a good thing. Uh, Page 845, and it's uh, Acts 16, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. This is Paul. He's on a missionary journey, one of his many missionary journeys, and he comes to the city of Philippi. And this is uh, the account of what takes place. Acts chapter 16, verse 13, page 845. On the Sabbath, and this is, the, and this is Luke writing the account. He is describing, because he was with Paul and he was describing the events and summarizing them. And it says, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people who would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was named was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And she now I think it's an important principle to understand here. What's going on here is the gospel hasn't gone out yet. And it's still it's being it's being given out orally. And they're they're telling the gospel because there is no New Testament. So they're telling about Jesus. Many people are worshippers of God, but they're not worshippers of Jesus because they don't know who Jesus is. So Paul is coming with the gospel saying who Jesus is, that he lived, he died for our sins, he was, he was buried and rose again on the third day, and he's coming back. That was the gospel. So Paul is bringing the gospel to God-fearers here, and Lydia is one of those God-fearers. So uh, Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive uh, purple cloth, who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household as she asked us to be her guest. And she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we all, uh, until we agreed. Now, think about that. (laughs) She says, if you think I'm lying, then just walk away. But if you believe me, come and stay. Well, that's quite the invitation, isn't it? Uh, How could you not do that, right? But she became a follower of Jesus Christ and was compelled to uh, take in Paul and uh, Luke and the rest of the crew. So Paul stays with Lydia and he begins to teach the gospel to these people. And uh, little by little, a church is formed. And he didn't have a lot of time here, but he had enough time to plant some seeds that would become the church of Philippi. Now, during his visit also, in, in in the days he was there... Paul one day cast a demon out of a young girl, and the the uh, the gratitude of the people because this woman, this demon possessed girl, had brought. You can read the story uh, in Acts chapter 16. She brought in money to the merchants. She was like a slave, and she was like a freak, and so she was bringing in money. So Paul basically one day just set her free. And all of a sudden, their money dried up, and they became very angry with Paul, and they threw him in prison. Look at this. This is verse 23 of Acts chapter 16. This is just to give you a background about uh, not only the Apostle Paul, but his time in Philippi. So they were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, let's just stop here. We've been, we're talking about how do you rise above circumstances. They're in leg chains. 
They're chained up. They've just been beaten. Um, brutally beaten. And what are they doing? They're praying and they're singing praise to God. It seems like they're rising above circumstances. All right, let's move on. Around midnight, uh, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Well, there's a supernatural thing going on here. It's not just the earthquake. There's a supernatural thing. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. The reason he did that, it was either you kill yourself or you turn. You basically report what happened and they kill you. And it's not going to be pleasant. That's so he basically figured, you know, save myself the pain. I'll just kill myself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, this is a great question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? He saw the power of God. And he said, there's something going on here that is supernatural, that is beyond my understanding, beyond. I just need to know what, what, what's going on here. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your house. So in other words, he's saying, they're saying to them, believe. All you have to do is believe. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go through any works. You don't have to be good enough. You don't, you don't have to be born in the right family. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be educated. You don't, none of that. You just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you don't have verses, that you, if you have verses that you memorize when you're trying to share the gospel, this is a past, perfect passage. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And your household as they put their trust in Christ. It's not locked in just to you. So, uh, the Philippian jailer is led to the Lord by Paul. Lydia is led to the Lord by Paul. And so there's a deep bond formed between Paul and the people of this church uh, that would never be broken. Now, we come to the book of Philippians, and it's ten years later. There is a church in Philippi now, and it began from these roots. This is where it began. And so Paul writes, and he's writing to this church that he founded. However, he, again, is in prison. I mean, this guy, this, you know, it might be easier for Paul to say, what prison haven't you been in? Because you've been in a lot of prisons. I mean, it's like every city you go into, the first thing they do is throw you in prison. So he's in prison again, and he light, writes this letter of encouragement to the people of Philippi. And, and just like Paul, they're going through difficult times. And so Paul wants to write the letter. The, 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 the reason for the letter is to encourage them. And so this is where we jump into the book of Philippians. I want to read through the first um, 11 verses of chapter 1. This is on page 899 of your chair Bible, Philippians 1. So now we know the background. We know how the church began. And 10 years later, Paul is writing a letter of encouragement to them. And here's what he says. This is Philippians 1.1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves in more ways than one. Not only are they slaves in prison, but they consider themselves slaves to Christ. He's their master. 
I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. Notice they have elders and deacons. They have structure within the church now and leadership in the church. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news or gospel about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. I would have this, and I do have it in my Bible, underline this next verse, verse 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You shared with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love would overflow more and more and that you would keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring you much glory and praise to God. So Paul's thankful for the church as we read this for three things, and I just want to touch on those, and we'll talk about how do we rise above our circumstances. He's thankful for three things. Number one, he's thankful for their hospitality. He says, from the very beginning, you were hospitable to me. You, you welcomed me in. Lydia opened her home. She invited Paul to stay with, with her and the family. Uh, the church of Philippi began with hospitality. They welcomed and cared for people, inviting them in. And when Paul was finally released from jail the first time, when he was there the first time, thrown in jail the first time, Um, he said his farewell to the believers at Lydia's home, which he had uh, continued. It had become a meeting place for the church. Now, just a word about hospitality. Uh, It's something that we've lost in our day and age. And maybe you're in a home where you say, well, you know what? I don't have a home and I can't really be hospitable to people. Well, you can. You can make meals to people and take meals to people. And that's a way for you to do it. If you know somebody's in the hospital, somebody's having a baby or something, you can take them a meal and it's a way to show hospitality. Uh, The other thing is some of you have homes and you can uh, be hospitable. And one of the great ways, one of the ways here at Hope Church that you can show hospitality is we have these things called small groups. And it may be that you say, well, I could never lead one of those. Well, you don't have to lead one, but you could host one. You could open your home up and say, I have a home, and I'd be willing to host that and have people meet in the home and, and have a place for people to meet. Uh, that was what Lydia was doing. So that's a great way, just kind of an idea. I'm putting it out there, and maybe some of you hear me and say, you know, I could do that. Maybe I don't have to lead it, but I could host one. And if you are one of those people, you can talk to Dave, you can talk to me, and uh, we'll get you plugged into that. So he's, he's thankful for their hospitality. Secondly, he's thankful for their commitment. Notice what he says in uh, verses 20. Uh, this jump down to verse 28 and 30 in Philippians 2 because or in 1 in Philippians 1. He says, "Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. 
This will be a sign to them that they are are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Can I read that one more time so it will sink in and we'll hear this? Because we think that when we suffer, we go through difficult times, God has abandoned us. What Paul is saying, it's a sign for the world that we belong to him. Notice what he says. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Have you ever thought of suffering for Christ as a privilege? We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. You see, the church of Philippi is going through a time of testing, a time of trials, a time of uh, just being rejected. And so Paul is basically saying, I, 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 I really appreciate you, and you, you certainly are followers of Christ. You're proving it. You're showing hospitality, and you're holding forth to the truth. You're holding, st- even when you're being persecuted for it. Uh, one of the things that we fail to understand, as, and maybe we don't instruct new believers this very, but, but the, we, we say, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Well, Here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, what you're doing is you're walking from the, 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 the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The minute you do that, you're declaring war on the kingdom of, of darkness, and you're basically going to the other side. So you will be attacked by people. You will be attacked, uh, and they don't even know what they're doing many times. But uh, you're declaring war on the powers of darkness, and you're opening yourself up for criticism, for mistreatment, and rejection. Now, what Paul's saying here is this is a privilege. This is not a burden. This is not something that we should say, oh, I don't want. But we live in a society that we, we so want to be accepted. We don't ever want to be rejected. And, and what the early church understood was suffering for Christ was, a, was an honor, was a privilege. Uh, and you know what? As our country moves, and we're in a country right now where we can stand and we can preach and we can listen to the Word of God, we can assemble together, and we're not going to be uh, disturbed by that, by our government, that those days may go away. And, and it may be that to, to gather together is going to be a difficult thing, like it was in China, like it was in Russia. Um, and it may still be to many to, to a great extent. So Paul's thankful, number one, for the generosity. Secondly, that they're holding tough, that they're, they're, they're committed. And then number three, for the generosity. Notice verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 15. He says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned about me, but you didn't, you didn't have the chance to help me. As you know, you Philippians were the one, only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the God, the, you the good news and then traveled on from, from Macedonia. No other church did this. So they were a generous church and they helped, Paul, they helped fund Paul's missionary journey so that he could take the gospel to others. And it came, it came down like this. They were so grateful that, they were, that Paul brought them the gospel. They wanted other people to hear what they heard. They wanted other people to be set free like they were set free. They wanted other people to find life like they had found life. So they, they let their money talk. And they supported Paul. And Paul's thankful for them. He's thankful for their generosity. It played a key role in, in, in Paul taking the gospel to the world. All right, so that's how the church began, why Paul was thankful for the church. But I want to key in on that verse, verse 6, that he who has begun a good work will, will, will continue it until the day when Christ returns. It's a bad summary but that's essentially you can read it and that's what it says the question i want to ask is this how do we find happiness how do we find joy even in the midst of life's greatest challenges how do we do that 
How do we do that? There is a poem that was written by Ella Wheeler Wilcox, and it says this, One ship sails east and another west by the same uh, self-same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells the way we go. Like the winds of the sea and the waves of time, as we journey through life, tis the set of the soul that determines the goal and not the calm or the strife. And essentially what that poem says is we can't control the winds, but we can control the direction. And that's true. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we're going to respond to our circumstances. And Paul writes these words. He says this while he's a prisoner. Here's what he says. I'm certain that God who be, will be who begun, began a good work within you will continue it until the day it is finished on the day when Christ returns. And Paul is writing this from prison. He's saying God's not done with you yet. He's working in your life. Even though you're going through persecution. He's working in my life. Even though I'm in prison and in chains. Now here's the key about uh, to living a, a life above your circumstances. And, 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 and this is really not only the principle for, for this weekend, but also possibly the principle for the whole series. And here it is. That you can rise above your circumstances because you know that God is working in you in spite of your circumstances. And He isn't finished and He'll never give up on you. God is working in spite of your circumstances and He isn't finished and He's never going to give up. He's never going to give up on you. Oh, that ought to encourage you. <laughs> that ought to make you feel like God is on my side, God is working, and I can rise above the circumstances because I know He's doing a work in me. Now, some of you aren't sure about that, are you? <laughs> if, I, if I could read your minds right now, you say, well, that would be nice, but I don't know if I really, oh, I really believe that. You, you, you may say, you may be thinking, well, I know God began a good work in me, but I really screwed things up pretty badly in my life. It's, it's kind of a mess. And, and, and I don't have the confidence that God will ever bring my life to, to His intended completion. I mean, I know what that verse says, but I know my life. And I've made some big mistakes in my life. I've sinned. I've done some horrible things. And I just don't know if I believe what you're saying. Why is it that Paul is sure and you're not? <laughs> I mean, really. He's stating God's word when he says, God is the one who's begun is, is going to finish it. And he's on your side and he's never going to give up on you. God is never going to give up on you. You may have given up on yourself, but God has never given up on you. Never, and He never will. Now, why is it that, that that's hard for you to believe? If anyone had a reason to get down and depressed, it was Paul. As he's writing this letter, he's in chains. He's in jail. He's on trial for life. He was physically weak. He was under attack from fellow Christians. The one passage we read in in, in uh, Acts, where he had been in Philippians thrown in that jail. Remember, he was beaten before he was thrown in jail. And Paul goes on, he goes on a diatribe, talking about the shipwrecks, the beatings, the, you know, we're left for dead and all this other stuff. And, you know, when you read Paul's letters, it's not like, oh, woe is me. 
mean, this is one of the most encouraging letters that he's ever written, and he's writing it while he's in chains. Paul knows this, and this is where the disconnect probably comes in. He knows the immeasurable power of God. He knows how powerful God is. He knows the resurrection power of God that is at work in us. He knows that. Now, your problem is directly tied to not having grasped the scope and the application of that power in your life. But you can. See, our biggest problem is that we struggle is because we have not experienced the resurrection power of God in our lives, working in our lives. We haven't experienced that. Paul says something very amazing in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 11. He says this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, just stop there and just think about that. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Resurrection power. The power of the Spirit of God. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. This is what Paul's talking about. This is why Paul can say, God began a work in you, and He's he's going to keep on working. He's never going to give up. That's why Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you another helper who will be within you. Not with you, but with, because Jesus was with them. He will be within you, and it's, He has the power of the resurrection. We can, see, we can know about this, but we don't know it. It's one thing to say, oh, I know what you're talking about, but not know it in reality or know it in, in life. So when I ask you, do you rejoice in His power in your life? Have you thanked God and said, God, your resurrection power through the Spirit of God dwells within me to help me rise above my circumstances? Do you understand how His power can work in your life? Here's the real struggle, I think, and where we get into trouble. We're more concerned with what's happening around us than what's happening within us. We're more concerned with what's happening around us than what's happening within us. What do I mean by that? This is really where our problem is. It's a perspective problem. We're more more focused what's happening around us rather than what's happening within us. Um, what, What is happening within you is much more important than what's happening around you. Um. Your circumstances are always changing, but your character is going to last forever. See, and here's the thing. No matter what the circumstances are, good or bad, you are being shaped. Your character, your personality, your spirit, you as a person, through your circumstances, are being shaped. And you're carrying that into eternity. So your circumstances, are, they're like waves. I mean, you're, you're going to see them. They're going to be here and they're going to be gone. They're going to be here they're going to be gone. But you remain. And how you respond and how you grow and how you develop. James says, when you, that's why James can say, Consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. And you say, 
Why would I rejoice in that? Why would I even think that's a good thing? Because that's a wave that could produce character within you. And if it produces character within you, it's something you carry not only on this life, but in the next life. And we're more concerned about the waves around us than the character within us. The real question is, who are you becoming? This is the work that God is doing in you. And that's really what it comes down to. See, we're, we're, we're saying, well, I'm poor, or I'm alone, or I'm, I'm not feeling well, or whatever. And th- those are waves. I get that. They're real waves. But th- the real question is, well, what is, what, is, what is happening? How are those waves affecting me? Are, are, how, how are they developing character within me? Paul basically is writing from prison, and he's encouraging other people. <laughs> He's not saying, pray for me, I'm dying here. This is horrible, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. <laughs> Send help, you know. He, he's not doing anything, you know, I, let me talk to you guys about how you welcomed me. And you guys, you know, it's like, how do you write a positive letter when, when life's going horrible? And, you know, but, but, but what Paul realized was, I can't change my circumstances, but I can rise above them because I know no matter what my circumstances do, character can still be produced whether good things or bad things are happening in my life. It's not a surprise to God because God dwells within me through His Spirit and the resurrection power of God's Spirit is available in my life. And when I understand that, that God can take any circumstances, any problems, any challenge, and say, here's an opportunity for you to develop character, trust, faith, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, Here's an opportunity. The question is, what happened with that wave? What happened with that, with that circumstance? So instead of being so concerned about trying to change our circumstances, because that's what our world is all about. Our world is we just have to change our circumstances. But guess what? We can't. There are so many circumstances we can't change. But we can change how we're going to respond to those circumstances. And how we respond to those circumstances is going to develop character. And as we develop character in our lives, and we allow the power of God's Spirit, the resurrection of powers, to, to rise, give, it, give us a, a heavenly perspective, then our character changes. And those circumstances that seem so dominant and so, so powerful in our lives, they lose their power. See, so, so this is easy to talk about. It's hard to do. God is both. The good news is, is this. We have a God who's not only willing to work in our lives and to, to uh, help us to go uh, rise above the circumstances. He's not only willing, but he's able to. You know, it's one thing, you know, as, to be willing to help. It's another thing, you know, there are people that say, hey, can you help me? And I go, well, if I can. What do I mean by that? Well, I, if, if it's within my power, I will. And then there's some people who have the power, but they're not willing. You're the one that, that can help me here. Why won't you help me? Because I don't care about you. But God is one who says, I care about you, and I'm willing, but I'm also able to do it. And, and that's the point. God is both willing and able to do in your life what needs to be done. He's fully committed to accomplish what He's already started. And He will see it through until it's finished. And He's never going to give up on you. Never. That's what Paul's saying to them. 
He's saying God started a great church. He started a good work in you, Lydia. He started a good work in you, Philippian jailer, whatever your name is, and your family. Uh, He started a good work, but he's not done. Then he's still on your side. And he's never going to give up on you, and you have the resurrection power of God within you. So hold your heads up. Even when you're misjudged, even when you're persecuted, even when you're rejected by people, hold your head up because the one who matters most says, I am willing and able to do in you what needs to be done. Because what's being done within you is more important than what's happening around you. If we could figure that principle out, we will rise above any circumstance. I love how the psalmist puts it, and I'll close with this verse. The righteous person faces many trials, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. We can't look at rescue as saying he gets me out of these circumstances. Sometimes he does, and that's often how our prayers are. But it's not always rescuing us from the circumstances. It's helping us to see above the circumstances, to see the perspective that he sees, to understand how these circumstances, whatever they are, can change us within And make us into what he wants us to be. So the waves are going to come this week. It's not a matter of if. They are are coming. And they're going to come in various... They're going to come in various shapes and sizes and challenges. And we're either going to say, God, help me to see your perspective. Help me to to, uh, unleash the, the resurrection power of your spirit within me as I respond to the circumstances around me, because I know that I can't really change my circumstances, that I can rise above my circumstances. But I can only do it with your help. And I can only do it from your perspective. But as I do that, it doesn't really matter what the world throws at me, because you're within me. And you're making me into the person you want me to be. And you'll never give up on me. Never. That's hope. That's joy. That's happiness. We walk out with our heads up knowing that we are sons and daughters of God and that he never gives up on us. And that whatever hits us this week may be a surprise to us, may be a shock to us, may be a challenge to us. But to God, he saw it coming. He knew it was on, our way, on the way. So help us to see it from his perspective. Say, God, what, are you, what, are you, what character are you trying to develop in me through this situation, this circumstance that I can't change? And when you begin to ask that question, you're asking the right question. And you'll rise to joy. You'll rise to happiness, no matter what the circumstances are. Easy to talk about. Easy to describe. We've had the lecture. This week we're going to have the lab. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, this is, a, this is a, an important concept for us to understand. Because in the world you will have tribulation. Rejection. Pain, trials, uh, rejection, all those different things that we don't want. And yet those are the things that you can use to develop character within us. Help us to be more concerned, Father, with what's going on within us than what's going on around us. Help us not to worry about trying to change our circumstances for our own comfort but that we allow our circumstances to change us as we allow your resurrection power of the Holy Spirit within us, as we allow a heavenly perspective that understands 
that no matter what the circumstances that are going on around us, that you are working within us and you've begun a work that you're not finished with, that you'd never give up on us, and that you're doing a work that is going to one day be finished. And we want to see that work continue on in our lives this week, Father. So help us to meet those challenges, those circumstances, with this perspective, this heavenly perspective. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.